breakout ratings on the breakout finder are live. 2023 breakout ratings are ready for you to access and you're not going to like what you see. Don't be mad at me. Go to the app store, go to Google play, get the breakout finder to find out just how bad this draft class actually is. This is the Decision Point with Anand Nanduri. And Anand, you are here to talk about NFL free agency, but not just all the fantasy-relevant players. We have plenty of shows for that. We bring you on to dig deep into these rosters and teach me about some of these players and their value along the defensive line, along the offensive line, in the secondary. When we talk about team building... It starts up front with the offensive line, and a team that's been investing a lot in a lot of different positions is Atlanta. They pay guard Chris Lindstrom five years, $105 million, one of the biggest deals so far, especially among the non-quarterbacks. Talk about what Atlanta's doing. I think what they're preparing for is either it's going to be Ritter in 2023, or beyond that, they're trying to replicate what Detroit did, which is we have pieces we like that we can extend now that might be a discount relative to when everybody else realizes that these pieces are pretty good and they hit the open market and we have to pay them open market value, right? Like Caleb McGarry is their other really, really good offensive lineman. Uh, Had to be one of the highest graded linemen in the league last year. And for him to come back at three years 34 and a half million is crazy like that that open market value you would assume even if it was a three-year deal that he'd be pushing closer to 50 million dollars so for Atlanta to get him back and kind of be able to build without having to I mean look they're going nowhere in 2023 I think we're all aware of that barring some kind of Lamar Jackson trade whatever the case may be but this is how you do it right you have to spend the the thing that everybody hates to admit and doesn't want to acknowledge is even if you're fucking terrible, you still have to spend money to hit your cash floor, right? And what Atlanta is saying is, well, if we're going to have to pay people, we'd rather pay people that we know what they are, one. And two, more importantly, we'd rather pay positions that, sure, will front load and bloat these contracts now so that by the time we're actually contending, they've already gotten their money and we don't have to give a shit We can pay a quarterback if we need to pay a quarterback. We can pay a wide receiver if we need to pay a wide receiver. If we have to pay Kyle Pitts, we can can pay Kyle Pitts. They're correctly allocating resources basically to positions that are not going to help them win right now. But once they get everything else that we consider kind of, you know, quarterback, left tackle, edge rusher, once they address all of those via the draft and free agency either this year or a year from now – all of the ancillary pieces that they've signed are going to, you know, provide them with the resources to actually go make a run in 24 and beyond. Yeah, they, 10 guys they've already acquired. You have yeah. a trade with Johnu Smith, Johnu Smith of blocking tight end. You have Chris Lindstrom, who's a guard. This just reinforces their identity as a run first team and a team that's trying to protect their quarterback. This is not dumb. No. The way they're doing this is not dumb. They're in a difficult situation because the, the division's too easy. They can't just tank. The team is too good. So what do you do? Well, you at least want to build a strong foundation with offensive line, with secondary, and then just do your best to hit on a quarterback, even if you're not going to get a top five pick anytime soon. It could be this year, though. You never know. A quarterback could slip to them. We'll see. They might draft Will Levis, and Will Levis could end up being the best of this class. Yeah, and I mean, the the other part, too, is, you know, it's clear now, kind of one, two, now that, now that we've seen the trade go down between Carolina and, and uh, Chicago, it's pretty clear the quarterbacks are going one, two, which gives Arizona the leverage we thought they'd have at three. Basically, if Atlanta wants to get up there, they can, 
right? And and take, you know, their Richardson or Levis if they choose to do that this year. Or they can wait for next year and kind of, you know, see how it all shakes out. It's just they're an interesting team because if you look at all of these moves, right, it does there, – there are some of them. But Jonu Smith is a great example of one, right? And we're talking about extending two guards. Now, some of that is just smart work on their part, and I think they've done a fantastic job. But also, if there is a dark horse in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, the team seems to be kind of a natural fit for him where, you know, you have a blocking tight end. You have two guards that can move that you've extended now. Like, they're clearly going to run the ball a lot, and whether that's with Ritter or Jackson or whoever it is, there's going to be an element of the quarterback run game, and I think that's why you're seeing, you know, what you're seeing out of them at the same time Atlanta still needs help right like the only reason that they're going to be competitive in the NFC is that their division sucks so they are they are going to be competitive I mean and and that's the thing right like you don't want to be competitive for no reason and unfortunately for them their division is making them competitive even when they don't necessarily want to be competitive this is the issue right there there are 32 teams chasing a dream as of four o'clock today. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders are in such an incredible situation, right? The fact that the Raiders will go out and trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and do what they're doing is peak incompetence because you're, you're so fortunate. You're in the AFC West. You can lock in loss after loss after loss after loss and get one of the best quarterbacks we've seen come out of college next year. You think this quarterback class is good? You get two quarterbacks in the next class that are even better. The Raiders have a great gift to be in the division they're in. The only way you're going to beat Patrick Mahomes is to get an elite quarterback somehow, some way. And the worst possible path would be to lock in mediocrity at the quarterback position and a couple extra wins to ensure you don't get access to the best quarterbacks next year. Watching what the Raiders are doing this offseason makes me cry blood. It, it just doesn't make sense. Like, nothing the Raiders have done makes any kind of sense, right? Trading Waller is one of the moves that they made that actually does make a little sense because they like Moreau and they want to get younger and cheaper. I get oh. it. That, 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 that one makes sense. They might like Moreau, but just so you know, Foster Moreau's yards per route run and all of his efficiency metrics, when he was the starter, he was the starter for a number of weeks last year, was not impressive. He's not good enough to be a difference maker at tight end. No. And that's the strange part of this. Because if you're going to draft Garoppolo and if you're going to sign Jacoby Myers and keep Adams and pay Renfro what you're paying Renfro. They're just bringing in guys they know. It's it's such a failure of team scouting and self-scouting that you would just fall back on what the coach knows, the guys the coach knows. That implies that no one else knows anything. If if you're fall if the strategic advantage you think you have is that oh we have inside information that Jimmy Garoppolo is actually good or Jacoby Myers is underrated because Josh McDaniels coached them once upon a time, then that shows a complete lack of confidence in your scouting system that you'd be able to go to other teams and and assess other players as also underrated. No 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 we 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 just had these couple players the coach likes and that's who we're going to invest in. No strategy around building the team longer term and no tactical advantage in the scouting department. Well, there's a dangerous road that Vegas is going down where they're potentially 2018 and 2019 Houston, where you have all of these blue chip players and absolutely jack shit to do with them. Right. Like there there was no Houston was not going to win a Super Bowl as constructed in 2018 and 2019. They had a young dynamic quarterback, a really dynamic wide receiver, a couple of guys that you really liked as pieces on that team. JJ Watt. Like there, there are plenty of, of reasons to like 2018, 2019 Houston. The team wasn't winning a Super Bowl. And like Vegas is closer to having to tear it all down than they are to bringing home a Lombardi. And the problem is they keep making moves in one direction to go chase a ring, but also moves in the other direction where, oh, we need to get cheaper here. I, it, none, none of it makes sense. And I, I just, I'm trying to figure out 
what they could possibly do to get themselves out of here. Because now you're looking at multiple years, unless you want to just host a fire sale and get rid of everybody. No, no, no. They're setting up a five-year process to even get back to a place where they can start rebuilding. Yeah, this is a, this is a mess. No, they they are touching the abyss. And again, if they were in the AFC South, if they were in the NFC South, they would have the illusion of competing. You're not competing because as soon as you get out of your division, now you've got to play Kansas City and Buffalo and Cincinnati. You're not going to beat those teams as presently constructed, at least not consistently. You're not. You're certainly not going to beat three of them in a row. And and the Broncos are also making sound moves. That's the thing. I mean, the Raiders are so far from being able to compete in that division. I can't even imagine. I can't even construct a scenario in my mind's eye where this team is competitive. No. The Broncos just got Mike McClinchy five years, $87.5 million. What do you think of that? I think they overpaid for him. But, like, again, yeah overpaying for tackle is not the worst thing ever. I agree. It's a huge overpay. I would not have given him that money. But when you're replacing a replacement level player, average is a pretty significant upgrade, right? And sometimes you've just got to pay for what's available. And, you know, it's better to be free than to be great. They get a better deal on Ben Powers, the guard from uh, the Ravens. Yep. Four years, $52 million for Ben Powers. I like that. I like that. Anytime you can go get value on a guard like a Ben Powers, those are the savvy moves. The bottom line, though, this is where they're spending their dollars. Whether you think McClinchy's a good deal or not doesn't matter. This is where they're spending. This is smart spending to spend on right tackle, guard. These are highly coveted assets. You're always going to have to spend up for these guys anyway, and they form the bedrock of your team. You can go out in the draft in most rounds, and fill in other gaps in the team, not tackle, okay? So if this is where they're spending, I agree with it. And the other thing, too, that is very clear about, about Denver is they're going to be a run-first team this year, and the reason is fairly obvious. Um, that defense last year was, dare I say, Super Bowl caliber, and the offense was just so bad that it didn't matter. And it's the offense is a reclamation project simply because Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson was a horrible marriage for whatever reason. Um, and Sean Payton has figured out how to get 24 points a game out of Taysom Hill, Andy Dalton. Like, I mean, just guys that you would never, ever, you know, consider top flight quarterbacks. So twofold here. One, if he can't fix Russell Wilson, the project might be dead. Two, I think he can manufacture you enough points to beat teams outside of the division and to figure out the little nuanced ways to get over on certain teams in the division. It's just a matter of they're, they're much closer than the Raiders are, and the oh, Raiders yeah. have deluded themselves into thinking that, that, they've got, that they've got the juice to go play in this division. They don't. Super Bowl caliber defense in Denver added Zach Allen from Arizona. Yeah, really good football player. And, you know, like they just, you know, obviously losing Fangio is going to do something to the defense. We'll see what that, you know, what that actually does in terms of, you know, having a guy that prides himself on what Vic does. But, I mean, the pieces are all still there. It's not like they, they had the cupboard raided by anybody, you know. It's not like, you know, they were a Super Bowl team and, you know, had, everybody was looking to grab their pieces. They just kind of went about their business. Everybody laughed and said that they sucked, and they did, and that's fine. But the defense was not the part of the ball that 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 underperformed. If anything, they overachieved last year, whereas the offense was so horrifically bad. This The stat that, that boggles my mind, what is it, something like if they'd scored 18 points in every game they would have finished something like 13 and 4 which is just the, what <laughs> listen man they're 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 going to be a competitive team this is a team that is spending 200 million dollars on edge and offensive line like oh they're they're going after my heart man that's just that's like it's like tears of joy right you know, raiders tears of blood 
tears of pain. And and the thing is, like, they're they're gonna move some of their contract money too. Clearly, right? Because you're hearing all of these rumors about Sutton and Judy and Hamler, and it, one of them's probably gonna get moved. Maybe even two of them get moved, right? But they've already spent that money that they're gonna save wisely because when you have Judy Sutton Hamler and your functional identity is now going to be running the ball why are you paying guys that you're not going to actively feature tens of millions of dollars a year it makes sense right we're going to play defense we're going to run the ball we're going to ask Russ to make five big throws a game and that's it and they're they're basically going to recreate the end of what Breeze was in New Orleans and that's fine I mean that was a very successful run for New Orleans nearing the end of Bree's tenure with Sean Payton, they just didn't get a ring out of it. And obviously 31 teams don't every year, so I don't consider that a failure. Yeah, they don't need Jerry Judy on that team. They have a proper alpha, a true X receiver. There are very few left in the league in Cortland Sutton. They have a pure field stretcher in K.J. Hamler who can run a 4-2, and they have a chain-moving possession receiver in Tim Patrick. Mm -hmm. So they have all the pieces that you need to set up a run-first team. If you were running a wide-open pass-first team, you want like multiple flankers, right? You want flankers posted up in 11 personnel yep. on the right-hand side, playing off each other. That's where Jerry Judy shreds, right? Jerry mm-hmm. Judy is the wrong tool for this particular job. He would yeah. be much better off on a pass-first offense somewhere else that's where he would be a great fit. You think about how well he did at Alabama with a wide-open Mac Jones offense with you know, Devontae Smith on one side and Jerry Judy on the other. It was just killing you with these versatile flanker receivers that can get open on their own, and it's just impossible to cover every blade of grass against those guys. You want Judy going to one of those teams. Judy would be so much better off on a team like the Chiefs than on a team like the Broncos. So those of us that have Jerry Judy in Dynasty, for example, you should want this trade to happen. This is something that you should be rooting for actively is that Jerry Judy goes somewhere else. No matter where he goes, it'll be better for him and better for the Broncos to open up that salary knowing that the way they've configured their wide receiver room will operate well with or without Jerry Judy. Yeah, and I think that the irony is that the Chargers and the Chiefs are probably the two best contenders to to take him. That's right. Yes. Oh my God. Both divisional teams, but I mean, you know, if he does get if he does get moved, the logical fit, you know, because they're construct they're two teams that are presently reconstructing their offenses as we see it, and they're drafting one two right. Houston and Carolina can find a way to build an offense where Jerry Judy matters. The Broncos are trying to do the exact opposite, right? Depending on who they draft at one, two, right? He makes so much more sense for a team like Houston or Carolina than he does as the de facto number two in an offense that wants to run the ball. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He literally would be successful and, and better utilized anywhere else. I'm seeing Matt Gay getting $22 million over four years for a kicker. Chris Ballard? Yeah, Andy, what are you doing? <laughs> What's happening? What is this? Chris Ballard really is making me look bad. Like Whenever I think of Chris Ballard, my first instinct is to say, wow, I am dumb. I am an idiot. I was wrong. I had Ballard as a top five general manager in the league. Every time I turn around, he's trading for the wrong veteran, dusty quarterback. Now he's signing Matt Gay, a kicker. $22 million? Fucking what? I, I saw that come across, and I was like, wait, they did what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I, there's, there, it's basically indefensible. There's no, <laughs> there's no defending there, it. There's no, there, it doesn't make sense. What? what? It, 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 it's just that simple. It doesn't make sense. Um, and then again, Indy's another team. The fuck are you going to do? 
because you're sitting at number four now with one, two almost guaranteed to be quarterbacks, and Arizona's open for business at three. So if you sit at four, your one of two things has to happen. You have to be okay with drafting Levis or Richardson because I think Stroud and Young are going to go one, two, right? And then someone's moving up to three for somebody, and it, and it's I don't think it's Will Anderson. And then you're you're I mean stuck is the wrong word, but you're forced to take whoever's left if you sit at four. Their best option might be to wait and see who falls, and then trade out of four. Just go full tank. Yeah, I mean I I think that's the move. Yes, 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 yes. Trade down to ten or eleven. Take Skaronsky or Paris Johnson. You know, figure it out. Uh, if you're Indy, see, the problem is, right, most years we have 32 delusional teams that think that they can win a Super Bowl, which everybody's dream is. Everybody's like, oh, well, if this, 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 this happens, maybe we could contend, right? The problem is the 101 this upcoming year in 2024 is so valuable that I think that there are going to be teams that actively tank, and I don't blame them. And they should, because that's the kind of quarterback that if you're the Jets in 2020, winning those back-to-back games in December for no goddamn fucking reason. Yeah, and, and this is why you cannot overinvest in the coaching position. Okay, this is a, a warning to all the top equity holders of all the franchises around the NFL. This is the great trap of overinvesting in the head coach. Now, Josh McDaniels is in a situation where he cannot look forward to 2024. He has to put pressure on the organization to get him a quarterback, get him something to help him win some games and save his job when the long view is you need to go and get Caleb Williams. You need to structure the moves of the franchise to optimize the probability of getting a Caleb Williams. Not yeah. winning a couple extra games, so maybe you don't get fired because McDaniel's is, is this is his last chance, right? This is his like he's had you know uh, forays around the league, flirting with teams like the Colts. He had the disaster in Denver. This is since the the epic fail in Denver, right? Yeah. So the league was like, we're definitely giving you another chance, but you can't blow it. And he so he's tiptoeing around the league looking for just the right spot finally commits to the Raiders, this is it. Yeah. This is it. And now you have a coach with a this-is-it attitude, and you have a team that can't win for the next three years and is the most perfectly positioned to tank of any team in the NFL. And what are you doing? You're spending $75 million on Garoppolo. Yeah, that's... Man. It's just heartbreaking if you're a Raiders fan it's heartbreaking I'm also seeing investment in interior defensive line I saw San Francisco sign Javon Hargrave away from Philadelphia I saw the Seahawks giving 51 million over three years to Draymond Jones and I also believe that the the commanders brought back Deron Payne for 90 million over four years so serious yeah. investment in the interior defensive line. Typically, we're like, well, interior defensive line isn't as important. You're more focused on pass rush. These are guys that can stuff the run. Analytics say you can go ahead and let teams run on you anyway because you're better off letting them run for five yards a carry than letting them throw for six yards a throw, right? Yeah. Six yards an attempt is better for an offense than five yards a carry, but these teams are continuing to vest in the interior defensive line. What do you make of that? I think it's a byproduct of, you know, one is you've seen Aaron Donald wreck the league for a while. You've seen Chris Jones wreck the league for Kansas City for a while. And teams are starting to realize, like, hey, if we're spending a bunch of money on edge rushers, and to counteract that, teams are spending a fuck ton of money on tackles, right? If we start to move some of this money to the interior of the defensive line, if we start to prioritize a Leonard Williams, a Quinnen Williams, a Deron Payne, a... I mean, Deron Payne's good. 
Oh, he's really good. I mean, really, really, really Major good Pain. Yeah. Remember that movie, Major Pain? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell was that, you little freckle face cartoon? Did I give you permission to sneeze, Opie? No, sir. Then you hold it in, you big ear turd. Otherwise, I'll kick your ass back to Mayberry. <laughs> God, he, I mean, Washington's D line is just silly. But. I think a, a part of it is, you know, if you're not going to spend on center and guard and we spend on interior defensive linemen, we'll just blow up quarterback plays week after week from the middle instead of from the outside, and we'll just outspend you where you don't want to be outspent. So now, once again, reacting to that, people are starting to pay guards. Why? Because you have to go against Deron Payne every week. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it just goes to show, man, you've got to invest draft picks and free agent capital in the interior point of attack. Yeah. That's you know, from the nose tackle and the center on out to the edge and the tackles. That's where you need to be spending your money. I mean, watch if you if you want proof of it, right? Two teams that were one was okay the year before and one was actively bad the year before. Look at what just offensive line play has done for the Lions and the Eagles in 2022. It made yeah. life easier for everybody. Yeah. Like they're operating on rookie mode and mad. Like they're, it's making everyone's life easier. And then you don't have to overpay for every skill position player you've ever seen. Right. Like this is the easiest way to make your quarterback's life simple. And functionally, as an offense, that's your job. Yeah, and that's what Atlanta's trying to do. They, they're the hey, we're going to have Desmond Ritter under center most likely, unless some some miracle happens in the draft or we decide we're going we're to trade up. We're going to we're going to have to make a go of it with Desmond Ritter, and he needs extra blocking help at guard at, at the tight end position. It makes sense. Philadelphia knows they have to re-sign Jalen Hurts and extend him three hundred million dollars. And they have all these contracts coming off the books. And so there was no way Hargrave was going to be able to to stay in Philadelphia because that money is already being allocated to Jalen Hurts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's once, once especially Philly's a classic case of you came out of nowhere, really good team one year. Now we're just going to pick all your pieces, right? It happened to Kansas City. You're starting to see it happen to Cincinnati. It happened to Buffalo's defense. Now you're watching it happen to Philly. You watched it happen to the Rams. Like it, This is just what happens. And the really good teams, San Francisco chief among them, find ways to replace those guys, much like taking Hargreave from Philly, right? So, I mean, if you want to stay competitive, you've got to know who to sign, who to let go. And when it's time to draft someone and when you need to go acquire someone in free agency and overpay for two years of that production while you have a window. So, I mean, every team's a little different, but there are universal truths, which is always spending on offensive linemen that are good is never a bad thing. No. And getting good value, especially on defensive tackle, the best value defensive tackle has got to be Larry Okajobi. Three years, 21 million, that's it? You're just paying this guy 7 million a year. He's 28 years old. He's a, a complete and utter tank of a man that that man Pittsburgh this is why even when their offensive line crumbles yeah. their quarterback is dreadful his arm falls off so their offensive line is crumbling as their quarterback's arm is falling off and what happens they go nine and eight because of these kinds of moves because the team is never out of it with these kinds of moves if you continue to just only focus on value at these positions and draft well, draft the right positions and the right players yeah. at the right positions in the right rounds, then all of a sudden it's a franchise that can't fail. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Pittsburgh, right, this is going to sound crazy to say because they had Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Juju Smith-Schuster, run down the list of, of really, really good wide receivers they've had, right? They have such an, and this happens from time to time, right? They have such an advantage in their scouting department at wide receiver that realistically they never have to pay one. And the Colts do this at linebacker. 
And while Skarniecki was in New England, they got to do this with offensive linemen. They never had to pay their own, ever. Someone always overpaid to take linemen from New England, overpaid to take wide receivers from Pittsburgh, overpaid now to take linebackers from Indy. When you have such a positional advantage like that, it allows you to build a team differently because you're never worried about allocating cash resources to that position. You can just allocate late round draft capital and know if you swing enough times, not only are you going to hit one, but you're going to hit a couple and potentially even have trade bait to turn a fifth round gem into a second round pick a year or two from now. So Pittsburgh, when they do stuff like that, allows them to go spend money on a guy like Joby, allows them to go spend money on, you know, defensive back help. It's, it's one of the most unique positional advantages I've ever seen. But since the wide receiver market has exploded and Antonio Brown left, they just haven't had to pay one. And it's yeah. given them all the resources to fill out the rest of their roster. Because as much as we talk about how much quarterbacks can eat into your cap, right? Two, paying a number one and a number two receiver can eat into your cap almost as much. And they've avoided that for the better part of a half decade now. I've heard in Dallas that they've created a system with Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones where they essentially... There are so many people that need to sign off on big moves that the big moves are not being made. The big splashy signings are not happening in Dallas. And what ends up happening when you have to kind of go through a committee to get a player signed, get him through the door, you end up only getting the players that by consensus everyone agrees, hey, we need. right? And what do they need? They needed to bolster the secondary. And all the spending has been on safety and cornerback they trade for Stephon Gilmore they signed Donovan Wilson this was the one area that they really needed to shore up and that's what they're doing it's actually really interesting to see the Dallas Cowboys in such a prudent mode of perpetual competitiveness as opposed to feeling like oh no no no, no. this is the year we, we got to put our chips in they're like no no we're very good any given year, things break our way. We win the Super Bowl. At the very least, we're in the hunt to win the division every year. This is all you can ask for. And that is so not what Jerry Jones was 10 years ago as an executive. You could tell this franchise is being running now in the opposite way that it was before. And it's to the benefit of the team. Instead of all these wild swings, most of them not working out so often, the Cowboys not making the playoffs. Now you know. You look at these signings. Oh, they're getting Gilmore. Okay, they're going back to the playoffs. Yeah. The the most interesting part about it, and, and the part that's going to get kind of lost, is Jerry loves his round one draft swings. More than anybody. Like, more than anybody else, Jerry loves his round one draft swings, right? They had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Fuck it. We'll take C.D. Lamb. We'll figure it out. Worked out. It did work out. But the irony of the situation you just described is when you're willing and able to go make prudent moves in free agency, legal tampering, whatever the hell you want to call it, and fill your holes before they're holes that you have to draft in round one, if he falls, they can take a Jackson Smith and Jigba now. They can take a receiver in round one if they really want to because the because the holes on the team that you would, in theory, need to address in round one were erased already. Oh, my God. I would love them. I would love them to get Quentin Johnston. That would be it. They don't need another C.D. Lamb in Smith and Jigba. That's all Smith and Jigba is, is just a C.D. Lamb. That's it. It's, a, it's a, like a clone. What they need is a guy to stretch the field, downfield playmaker, because that's not Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup was sold as that, and he's not explosive enough. We knew it on Player Profiler that this is not the the yeah. proper implementation of the Michael Gallup skill set. And then you saw it in the playoffs where they tried to hit him deep, and it just the, it, the connections were not being made. That's not all on Gallup. It's not all on Dak. It's just the wrong resource running the wrong routes for the wrong team. You put Johnston in that role. Now we're cooking with gas. Nah, that'd be a whole lot of fun. That would be cool, right? And then we you can put Gallup like in a slot role, or put Lamb in the slot, and you can put Gallup at flanker, let him do what he wants to do, and you just have 
Uh, you have you have uh, Quinton Johnson as like a stretch X. Oh man, I love a good stretch X. There's so few of them, and then the hope of them is so rarely materialized. Like you know the yeah. Brashad Perriman hope. What if Brashad Perriman can yeah can be this this special type of asset never never worked out but it could with a johnston it could be really neat and that's the thing right like if we look how how successful of a draft pick was mike williams right like we can look at it multiple ways right but like that is at, at this point mike williams is is what you're hoping for <laughs> from that kind of i'm hoping for a john taylor i think that i think that quinton johnston could be the john taylor at x to the Jerry Rice, who is CeeDee Lamb's best comparable player at flanker. And I, I think they could, they could basically implement the 49ers offense from the 80s. And it would be great. It would be great. And you have two back sets, right? You got two back sets back there, split back sets with, with Pollard. And <laughs> who knows who the other running back's going to be. I th see the the thing is I would love for them to go receiver, but if they sit at twenty six and Bijan's there, that's the most Jerry Jones pick that I know has ever know. will ever exist. <laughs> I know, but what I'm telling you is, with my visibility into the Dallas franchise and what I'm seeing, they're probably just going to go guard. <laughs> they're probably just going to do the right thing. Yeah, and they've been doing that time and time again because I have Dallas Cowboys fans, and I'm like, they're complaining. I'm like, you guys. The moves are good. They're conservative, but that's what will create enduring success. You don't want them trying to be cowboys, right? No, no. You want them to be sound businessmen, right? The whole problem with the franchise was you had a sound businessman trying to be a cowboy, and it didn't work for so many years. Now you have a sound businessman being a sound businessman, and all of a sudden it's perpetual playoff berths where they have a chance to make a run if things break their way. Matt, the Eagles were not the Eagles this year and the way that they were constructed and the way they played football because Jalen Hurts is the best football player we've ever seen. Like, there wasn't an, even an argument that Jalen Hurts was better than Dak Prescott until like week nine of this year, right? You're talking, if, if you're trying to rewrite history as though Jalen Hurts was this generational prospect that arrived on the scene and was blowing people away day one. You're lying to yourself about who he was. That truly was Dak when he arrived on the scene and we're like, holy fuck, who is this guy, right? And so if you're Dallas, understand Philly is the team that they are not because of Jalen Hurts, but because of everything that they put around him. So if you give Dak that similar supporting cast, I believe that he can be maybe not quite what Jalen was last year on a consistent basis, but you can get 90% of that out of, uh, out of a healthy Dak Prescott, and that's way more than enough to consistently make some NFC championship games and even make a run at a couple Super Bowls. So if I'm Dallas, there's there's no reason to panic and you know go, oh, we need to, we need to change everything. No, no, no. You're closer than you think you are. But that's also a product of an NFC that's significantly less competitive than the AFC. Like, you have a division in the NFC South that is producing a playoff team that doesn't matter. Dude. The North is is going through some restructuring. Who knows Who knows what, what team will come out of there? I think it's going to be the Lions, and I think they're the only real threat in that division this year. And then you've got two teams in the West, and then the team in your division. That's basically it, right? Bro, bro, bro. Osiris Torrance. Osiris Torrance is a 330-pound guard. Big boy. Okay? The, there are some freak players available on the offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys to pick late in the first round. Look at this guy from Ohio State, Dewan Jones. Oh, Dewan Jones. 6'8", 375? They list him at 375. He probably played closer to 390. So I mean, that is a huge offensively I mean these guys have serious upside Darnell Wright has upside Anton Harrison there's so many quality offensive linemen in that sweet spot of the draft that's probably where they're gonna go or they're gonna go like uh, collegia can you know some defensive linemen I I would bet anything that now that they've invested in the secondary and free agency that they go offense or defensive line 
That's the move. I know that the mock drafters want them to go Bijan, want them to go Quinton Johnston, but they're not going to do that. I'm telling you right now. That's not how they're wired anymore. I think I just think two teams are going to remove the temptation of those two before they get there. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think somehow, some way, both of the, both Quentin Johnson and Bijan will be gone, and I think they'll be tempted to trade up for one of them. Yeah. No, please. No, they won't. This is not who they are anymore. Now we have to talk about offensive players coming up next. Oh, hello. It's the Podfather. I'm watching Jack Kavanaugh, Player Profiler, today on my Epson LS800 short throw television experience. This thing takes up the majority of my wall. It feels immersive. Jack's head is five times its normal size. This screen is many times larger than the previous television we had because it's not actually a television. It's a short throw projector, and you can learn more, epson.com slash podfather, epson.com slash podfather. This is why I, I spend all my time in the living room now. Who doesn't want Jack's beautiful, giant face telling them the news of the day? epson.com slash podfather. So a bunch of quarterbacks are either on in the process of moving or have already changed teams. Let's start with, oh, Derek Carr. Derek Carr to New Orleans. So what is your position on the Derek Carr to New Orleans transaction? It helps temporarily, I guess. Like, this was the easiest move to predict. I think everybody and their mother saw this one coming. I just don't quite get it logically i mean it's great don't get me wrong it's great for olave it's great for michael thomas it's great for basically everybody involved in that offense michael thomas restructured his deal he's not coming back he did 10 million dollar prove it deal i can't believe he got 10 million dollars good for him i don't i don't know if he plays another snap in the league <laughs> i mean they're gonna try i mean that, that look look if if and that's a gigantic if he's 80% healthy. I mean, still really, really good football player. Um, mm. it, I the, the Injuries, man, they suck. It's the worst part of this game. The Saints are in the weirdest spot of maybe any team in the league because the division is so bad that they might just win it by default, but they don't have the horses to go make noise with a Dallas or a Philly or a San I don't even know that. I don't know they're better than Atlanta. I don't know they're better than Carolina. Carolina gets Stroud. Carolina suddenly looks like the favorite. I mean, it it entirely depends on, on what these teams do draft it, right? Like now the it's it's strange because the NFC South is gonna be one on draft day, basically. As strange as that is to say, because that never ever happens. It's literally it's usually just, oh, we like that piece. Maybe they can make her run. No, I think whoever wins, quote-unquote, the draft on draft day is going to win the NFC South, which is strange. Like, you don't want to be that good that early, right? If you're Carolina and you're trying to build this out, you'd probably like one more premium draft pick before you really go make your run. But now you've already traded that to Chicago, so I suppose, you know, screw it push the chips in and try to win year one. Cause I mean, that's a lot of momentum. And I mean, those fans deserve better than God. What they got the last two years at quarterback is just <laughs> that's, that's not a product you can sell. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker, Cam Newton. Uh, it, it's a mess. 37.5 million per year for Derek Carr is an overpay. This is a move that reeks of desperation this sets the franchise back. They're in a difficult situation because they're in the AFC South, which is very winnable. So they're not in that enviable situation that the Raiders were in, where a tank is very straightforward. It's not straightforward to tank. They keep losing veteran pieces. They lost Armstead last year. They're not as good as they were a couple of years ago, even you know, unit by unit. I don't see them winning the division. I don't think that Derek Carr is much of an upgrade over Andy Dalton. I think it's a giant overpay, and it's the classic move that a wayward franchise would make this is essentially a three-year deal so they've locked in themselves to Derek Carr for the next three years 
and then he's owed fifty Why? million in twenty twenty six with with just over ten million of dead cap. So he won't make it to twenty twenty six. He won't be their quarterback in twenty twenty six unless he restructures. But he's gonna be there for three years. Three years. Yuck. Three years. It's not good. It's a bad. It's a bad. Look at look at and then juxtapose that with the Geno Smith signing. Now Geno Smith at signing guaranteed only twenty seven point three million. Only $40 million total guaranteed. That's less than half of Derek Carr's total guaranteed. There's an out in Geno Smith's contract next year. And it's difficult to prove that Carr is any better than Smith. I mean, go ahead. Try. Try try, try, try to tell me. Try to tell me. Try. Yes, you could say, okay, a few years ago, Carr had a better year than, than Smith has ever had. But Smith had Metcalf and Lockett. Carr had Devontae Adams, okay, and yeah. Waller some of the year, Renfro some of the year, Mac Hollins, and was measurably worse in every way across the board. Looking at the efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com, Carr worse than Geno Smith. And had arguably the best pure running back in the league last year. Don't forget that, too. Yeah. I, I, it, the. Not to say that Olave and if he's healthy, Thomas are are aren't really good players because they are. But he's downgraded his total weaponry from from what he had in in Vegas, even with the healthy Camara. And it, it's it's just such a lateral move for New Orleans that makes no sense. You're treading water. You're treading water for three years. No, no, it it is only fully understood in the context of the Geno Smith deal. When you look at this Geno Smith deal, you think he makes it to 2024? You think they keep him for two years? My suspicion is, yes, there's an out, but I think they keep him in 2024. Yeah, I think no matter what he's there in 24, they get to decide, right, when they're going to pull the trigger on, quote-unquote, the next guy, um, whether that's this year or next year, right? Because they didn't have to remember. Like This is this is the really strange part about the Geno Smith deal from when he got to Seattle. They didn't have to give up anything to go get him. Most of the time, you've got to give someone a massive contract to lure him there. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to give up draft capital any, to anybody to sign him to their roster, to be able to trade for him. They just signed him as a backup, and he turned into a starter again, and they paid him like he is a starter again. Not really. They didn't overpay him. This is, this is barely starter money. It is starter money for a year. There's no commitment there, and he did them a solid. He's like, listen, you believed in me. You gave me an opportunity. You shelved Drew Locke in favor of me. I appreciate what you did. You resuscitated my career. I'm going to give you a deal to resign. Yeah. And also, I'm going to bet on myself in that you look at how old he is. Okay. He's 32. Let's say he's there for two more years, making uh, $25 million a year. That's great money. And then he's. 34, 35 years old, he can go out and get another deal, right? He can go out and make another $75 million. Yeah, and the best part about Geno's and, and the way he played in Seattle last year was just the consistency, right? You know what you got from him every week of last season. And that truly, like, that's one of the toughest things to find in a quarterback. Like, ask Vikings fans. It's a perfect... Incredible example. Kirk Cousins, when he looks his best, looks so good. And when he looks his worst, looks so bad. Geno Smith was the same guy every week last year. And that's you feel better about paying that, right? Like yeah. if you're if you're Seattle, you know exactly what you're paying for. I, I just love it all around. There, there's there's nothing to complain about. It, it's just awesome. I feel yeah. like the Daniel Jones contract is like the Geno Smith contract, only Slightly more money per year, right? Well, more than slightly more. I go from twenty-five million a year to forty million a year, so more money per year for sure. And then an extra year guaranteed. Really, it's a out in twenty twenty-five, but in reality, we can envision Daniel Jones playing there through twenty twenty-five. So a three-year deal, essentially. The question, the only question that I have, right, is this is a really strange situation. And I cannot remember the last time that it happened where a quarterback's fifth-year option was turned down by his team 
and then they extended them immediately. Like I, it, it there aren't there's nothing in the vault for that, right? The question becomes if you're paying Daniel Jones forty million dollars a year, what do you do with the rest of your roster? And you know how much can you trust Brian Dable to keep bringing that out of him? If he turns back into fumble prone Daniel Jones, you're in trouble. If he starts throwing interceptions again, you're in trouble. It's just a really strange situation to me. Um, I would not have paid him that. I just, I understand. I get it. Well, in in the range of contracts, you have Geno Smith being the best contract. You have Derek Carr being the worst. And Jones is is on the spectrum, but closer to Carr than Smith. Is that a, the, a fair assessment? Yeah. Because they're essentially in with him of three years. That's a lot to commit to. Dude, that's a lot to commit. And you've got to understand, yeah. too. And I understand that the supporting cast for a lot of the year was very, very bad. He's getting a lot of credit for having no receivers. And here's the th- here is the really, really, really strange thing about that. Right? We're saying the same things about Justin Fields, but that's in year two. We have two more years before they can decide to pick up that that year five option. Right? We saw four years of Daniel Jones. I know. Like, there's no... Who he was was not a shock to anybody. And then last year, Dayball comes in, Kafka comes in, they put it all together, and he looks good. But you're paying him now to carry you. And we're not talking about carry you to the playoffs again. You're in a division with Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts, and you're paying him like he's those guys. So if he's not, you're at a functional deficit immediately for three years. So... I mean, look, I hope he does well because there's a lot of stuff to like about Daniel Jones. I would just be terrified to have that commit. His cap hit, okay, because you spread his bonus out, you amortize his bonus over four years, so you, you got to account for a $9 million of bonus money and his base salary, $35.5 million. So his cap hit next year is $45 million in 2024. That's what they've allocated to him. And the problem is they're probably going to have to re- – logically, they're going to restructure that. There's no way they take 44. I don't love it. I don't love it. It's a tough situation, though, because they were competitive last year. The team is coming together. What are you going to do? They just traded for Darren Waller. What are you going to do? you gotta, you you got to go to battle with the weapons that you have, and that's what they're trying to do. They're like, this is what we got. This is what we yeah. got. I, I don't know why there wasn't more of a market for Geno Smith and how his contract didn't get bid up by teams like the Giants. But, I mean, because if you're the Giants and you decline the fifth-year option, it's to have that flexibility. I firmly believe that Geno Smith went to his agent and said, hey, we're going to stay in Seattle, provided that they hit number X, no matter what we could have gotten on the open market. Must have been it. There's no other explanation. Because I think the other part of it, too, is part of betting on yourself is he's been there. He's been around Lockett and DK for years now. It wasn't just last year. He was there the year before too, right? Like there is a certain element of, sure, I could go get more money elsewhere now. Maybe he gets an extra $5 million a year, $7 million a year somewhere else. But if he flames out of that offense, that that chops his ability to get contract number two, you know, two years from now somewhere else. I think his idea was, they have everything that I need to succeed here. And whether or not it's here or somewhere else for my final big payday, I'm not jeopardizing contract number two by leaving a really good situation in contract number one, which I think is a really smart business move for him to make. Agreed. That's that's the only explanation. And I like it. I, I, I like where his head's at. I like that he's not just letting the uh, the salary numbers dictate his whole life. There's more to life. There's more to life. So I, I agree with the move. What about the move by Carolina to go up and get the 101s? We haven't talked about that yet. They have to, have to, have to, have to have something to sell at the quarterback position, right? The defense has been building and building and building and has been really good. And I think Ajiro Averro is going to do great things again over there. Came over from the Rams. They've spent on safety. I think they have three of them now, whether it's uh, Jeremy Chin, um, and then they have two others. Really, really, like I mean, they're building out the DB room just as he did with the when he was in LA with the Rams. They signed Von Bell, signed Von Bell, and then they have a third safety. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head right now. And 
they're just going to wreak havoc. Brian Burns, I know they they discussed potentially the Rams offering two first-round picks. They didn't move them. Look, that defense is going to be pretty good, as it always is, and I think they might even take one step forward this year. Yeah, it could be great. All the offense needs is a trigger, man. Like, we're, we're – Carolina did things – properly in terms of how we're going to build a defense now they need to build basically what remains of an offense which they don't need a ton especially not to compete in that division right i mean i i don't love that they moved up to 101 in this class you would have much preferred them to move up to 101 in a class with a true true you know blue chip number one overall prospect at quarterback but to me it's very clear that they moved up for cj stroud yeah, they could have moved up to the third spot and traded with Arizona, likely given up less, not how to give up, let's say, DJ Moore. It's silly to me to go move up for a quarterback and then starve him of receiving options at the same time. Simultaneously, you are going up to get a quarterback, clearly, and what would be a quarterback's best asset, you're giving away in the deal. Giving away gave him away. When you look at what was necessary to move up, you would have thought, okay, two first, two seconds, done deal. Oh, no, and DJ Moore. That was just egregious. Ryan Poles did really well there. How did he do that? Ryan Poles, what a great job. Uh, I don't know how the hell he got DJ Moore out of that. Gratuitous giving up of assets by Carolina. Like, oh, oh. That's why I think that that it, Judy makes so much sense, right? Like if you're if you're Carolina and you're gonna go give up a third or a fourth rounder, you're not you're probably not finding someone in round four that's as good as Jerry Judy. I would go give that up right now to go take him from Denver, and then I would take quarterback one hundred and one, and then in the third round you hope to hit on somebody because you don't need help on defense. Like that's the that's the thing they don't have to necessarily worry about wasting premium draft picks on defense because they did that for the last three or four years. That's right. And that's the beauty of, of drafting an Iki Aquanu last year. We said it was a great pick by them. Loved it. It sets you up to have the ability to go acquire a, a premium quarterback because now you have the pieces in place. Now they had DJ Moore in place. I would have said you have your receiver, you have your your left tackle, you have the pieces in place, go ahead, but they give up DJ Moore in the process. Okay, so it's not ideal, but at least getting a Quanu, that is the starting point. And anytime you can do that, and, and the same thing with the Giants, they did the same thing, right? They're like, okay, offensive line, edge. Okay, let's build the foundation. Great. Now we can make decisions about our quarterback, right? It's not, mm -hmm. oh, get the quarterback and then figure out a way to build around him. No, 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 no. I, I think they did it right, you know, and now, yeah, they gave up a lot to go to one. But like I said, there's no guarantee that you would even be able to trade to 101 or 102 next year because those teams probably need a quarterback, right? It's mm. rare that the 101 is for sale like it was this year because the team doesn't need whatever the premium position is, whether it's quarterback, edge, tackle, whatever it is, right? They were just in a situation this year where the Bears already have their quarterback and are willing to move out of that spot. Carolina did not move up necessarily for the right to take C.J. Stroud. They trade up for the right to make the decision. They can choose to go Richardson if they like him more. They can choose to go Young if they like him more. Levis if they like him more. C.J. if they like him more. Right, And that's why you trade for this pick six to seven weeks in advance. Yes, I think they know who they're going to take at one. But if you're going to do this, do all of your due diligence on every one of these guys because now everybody knows who gives a shit. You are at 101 right now. Carolina, this is your moment, right? Houston and the rest of the world are awaiting what your decision is. Now, I think personally it's going to be Stroud. Maybe it's Richardson if you fall in love with the physical tools. But Houston's awaiting your decision. And Arizona, more than anybody, is awaiting your decision because they're going to get a haul if Anthony Richardson goes to three, right? And Indy's praying to God that no one's willing to trade with Arizona so that they can get him at four. That's how Carolina functionally traded four picks and DJ Moore to control an entire draft. And the decision that they make here is either going to set their franchise 
up for success for the next half decade or decade or absolutely implode everything that they've done. Why don't they do a trade with Houston now? Why don't they tell Houston, hey, hey, Houston, uh, whoever you want at quarterback, you're not going to get because we're going to take them. You don't know that. We don't know that. But because your because your quarterback coach is on tape on on underdog obsessing over the guy that they know you're going to take at one. Like it was. Do you want to take that risk? Let's say they like Bryce Young. Okay, you want to take that risk? Why don't you trade up with us? Houston at this point in their rebuilding process, and they've been sweating a particular quarterback for months now. You can leverage that FOMO a month from now. You can leverage that FOMO and and maybe do maybe deal if if you if you really don't have a strong preference of either Richardson or Stroud, just let Houston make the decision for you, and then they won't right because they'll go ahead and take Bryce Young. Ew. They're gonna take Bryce Young. Yeah, he's he's a Texan. You you can you can put that in Sharpie at this point. Ew. But I could see that happening. I could absolutely see Carolina being, yeah, we'll trade up with you. You want to overpay for the 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 right to not be nervous? I mean, I would try it. They're trying. I mean, they're they're actively leaking right now that they're interested in Bryce Young. They're probably not. Of course they are. Of course they're trying their best. They're trying their best to get and then every day that goes by, a sleepless night in Houston and finally they're just like pick up the phone. Fine. We and, and remember, Carolina doing nothing, right? Just just staying silent, putting out little, you know, little little uh, little feelers, right? Little leakages, right? Uh, letting everybody know they love everybody. We love Levis. Oh, but we really like Bryce Young. But we like Stroud. Oh, we really like Richardson. You could you could see maybe. Oh man, if they really didn't have a strong preference. They could conceivably trade back to four with Indy. Oh, that'd be that'd be the that move. would be sick, dude. If they really don't care and they're just like, "Hey, Indy, we're stealing your soul. We know you cannot sell your your fan base. What is it? Year seven of a of a new starting quarterback that isn't a draft pick. Like, yo, if I mean, look, Houston is desperate. Indy might be more desperate, and like it. It's gonna get ugly real quick in that top. If four, they could trade up to one, then trade back to four, and still get C.J. Stroud. Oh yeah, you want to talk about an A plus masterclass? That would be masterclass. Yeah, and for fantasy, D.J. Moore, woo, going to the Bears doesn't necessarily help D.J. Moore at all. D.J. Moore is gonna see fewer targets on a team where the quarterback is pulling pass attempts out of the offense and running the ball. However, those targets will be more accurate. The offense overall will have more red zone visits, so the touchdown equity goes up. So Moore loses target share, and he loses overall targets. He gains probably more receptions, more touchdowns, and it all equals out. Also, I, I will say that uh, the Colts have just re-signed Ashton Doolin. So this, is, this has come out. The Colts are re-signing Ashton Doolin to a two-year deal. This is a big deal. Uh Ashton Doolin is a pro bowler. He is my truther. I love that this is happening. So that's great news. But for fantasy, the big winners from that deal, Justin Fields and Terrace Marshall. Yep. Uh, Terrace Marshall on player profiler, best comparable to Sidney Rice. Through his first two seasons, Sidney Rice had uh, a little over 500 receiving yards. Same thing with Terrace Marshall. And then in Sidney Rice's third year, he had 83 receptions for 1,312 yards. Just saying. I'm just saying. That's the guy that Terrace Marshall is best comparable to. I'm just saying. And that's a, that's the th those are your big winners. It's Terrace Marshall, LaVisca Chenault, Shai yeah. Smith. They're winners through the conservation of targets that's going to happen in Carolina. Assuming Jerry Judy's not traded there. Jerry Judy goes there. Then wipe all those targets off the board that they were getting yep. <laughs> the, the, yep. the locked in winner has to be Justin Fields yeah especially because now the addition of a true number one in DJ Moore and we've had this discussion before what a true number one does for an offense but DJ Moore allows Darnell Mooney to play his natural two allows Chase Claypool to play his natural three and now suddenly Moore 
Mooney Claypool looks a lot better than Mooney Claypool Valus Jones Jr. Pour one out for Valus Jones. <laughs> RIP. I mean, look, it's hard to explain just how much Chicago's offense changed with that one trade and that one throw-in that Carolina made. And now you've got draft capital to go do absolutely berserk shit in the next two drafts. And so they're going to get all kinds of blue chip players in round one and two this year and next year. Plus you got DJ Moore in a year that you had to spend money. Brilliant. Loved everything about it. A plus deal. Ryan Poles is the polar opposite to Ryan Pace. Be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all. Ryan Poles is the polar opposite to Ryan Pace. <laughs> Couldn't be more different. Ryan Pace would have given Mike McGlinchey $200 million. Like, oh, oh, get whatever you want. Ryan Poles did really well there. Pour one out for Valus Jones. They're going to take Bryce Young. Yeah, he's he's a Texan. But you, you, can, you can put that in Sharpie at this point. Raiders, tears of blood, tears of pain. Little freckle face cartoon. Remember that movie, Major Pain? Now we're cooking with gas. Yeah.